0: Welcome to Faith of Our Fathers. Today's preacher is Donald Gray Barnhouse, an evangelist of incredible intellect, extraordinary language skills, and a true expositor of the scriptures. Today, Dr. Barnhouse presents an exposition on John chapter 14, verse 15. I want to give tonight an exposition of a portion of John, beginning with John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him, neither knows him, but you know him, for he dwelleth with you, and he shall be in you. Now in order to understand the 14th chapter of John, look back over the page, if you will, at something in the 13th chapter. The Lord had come with his disciples in the upper room and they were sitting there. They were rather ignorant disciples, fishermen, quite capable of great mistakes, failure to understand. And they had come to know the wonder that was in Christ, and yet they didn't understand spiritual truth yet. Remember that in the passage I just read that he said, the Holy Spirit dwelleth with you, because the Holy Spirit was Christ in Christ, but he shall be in you, and that had not yet happened. Now, suddenly there in the upper room, in chapter 13 and verse 33, Jesus dropped this fantastic bombshell. He said, little children, yet a little while I'm with you. I'm only going to be with you a little while longer. You shall seek me. And as I said to the Jews, whither I go, you cannot come. So now I say to you, well, this was utter consternation. Well, what, what, what do you mean he's going away? Well, what do you mean? Now he went on talking, but I'm going to prove to you, verse 34, they didn't hear what he said. New commandment I give to you, they didn't hear this. That you love one another, they didn't hear this. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. They didn't hear this. If the Holy Spirit had not later brought it to John's mind and had him write it down, it was not in the memory of any one of them. I'll prove this. Verse 35, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. They didn't hear this. And now look at the next verse. Peter came back into the room. His his mind had been down the street with the idea, but he's going to leave us. Where is he going to go? What's he going to do? Jesus' voice went on and Peter said, Lord, whither goest thou? See where his mind's been? Whither goest thou? Jesus said, whither I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterward. Why can't I follow you? I've laid down my life for your sake. Jesus said to him, would you lay down your life for my sake? I I tell you this, before the rooster crows, tomorrow morning at break of day, you'll have denied me three times. Oh, consternation. And Jesus said, now let not your hearts be troubled. The next verse, you believe in God, believe also in me. Don't worry, now don't worry. Yes, but, but what is this fantastic thing? I want to establish the principle that when a speaker speaks... You don't hear all he says. That's why it's worthwhile, let me say this to young preachers, to say, preach the same sermon over in a different way. You know, a preacher's job is somewhat like the writer of a musical comedy or popular songs. He has to say the same thing over in 50,000 ways. June, moon, love, dove, and... Uh, all of the popular songs "Our boy meets girl I love you there's trouble uh, the trouble's over when you're back and we love you and they have to say this over in 50,000 different popular songs and we have to say the divine truths over and over and over again always with a different facet to the diamond but we have it a little easier than they do because divine love has so much more than human love but here you see When people are talking, it's so easy to leave the room with your mind and not hear a part of it. One Sunday morning, oh, eight or ten years ago, I preached a sermon here. And at the close of the meeting, one of our members, uh, who is a thoughtful man, came to me and said, I don't think you were logical. You said this, and then you said this and that doesn't follow I said but in between I said this and this he said no you didn't I pulled out my notes and said you remember when I said that yes Now I said this he said I didn't hear that and I said this well I didn't hear that I went back up above and I said what was it here that you oh yes I remember you said so and so and I began to think about it because it was a new thought to me and I said while you were thinking about that point two I was saying point three and four and you shook your head and came back into the sermon at point five now, this is possible, and this is exactly what happened here in Matthew 13, I'm going to leave you. Consternation. And Jesus talks and talks and talks, and Peter comes back into the room. Lord, why can't we go? Where are you going? What are you going to do? What do you mean? You're going to betray me. Whoa. Oh, I can give you an analogy. Some of you have little children at home. Well, you know, some night when you've gotten a babysitter, you're going out and there's junior he's 18 months old and mother is putting him to bed fast tonight because she's getting ready to go out now junior be good stop crying get there eat your dinner get going and mother suddenly comes around don't touch me i'm all made up and junior recognizes that there's something happening and suddenly she puts on her gloves and her hat oh that that babysitter would only come we're going to be late all of a sudden the bell rings now mrs so-and-so here is junior junior she's a lovely lady But Junior, she's nice. You should have as much confidence in her in 10 seconds as you've learned to have in me in 18 months. It doesn't work that way. You see? Now, this is exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ, he came and said, I am going to leave you and the Holy Spirit is coming as the divine babysitter. We don't know anything about that. Let not your heart be troubled. Now, when we understand this, we can go back now to our text. And we begin in chapter uh, 14, verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. You see, the Lord is announcing that he's going to leave. And he says, while I am gone, your love is to direct you. The love that I bring in your heart, this is to direct you. What is to be the fuel on which our Christian life is to travel? What is to be the oil that is to keep the motor lubricated? What is everything that we have and do? It's from the love of Christ constraining us. Now, he said, you're not to live in regrets, inconsolable. You're not to say, oh... And some of you may have learned this hymn when you were children. What a terrible hymn. I think when I read that sweet story of old, how when Jesus was here among men, and they brought little children as lambs to his fold, I would like to have been with him then. I wish that his hands had been placed on my head, and that his arms had been thrown about me, and that I might have seen his kind look when he said, let the little ones come unto me. Well, believe me, dear friends, this is false. I don't want anything to do with the life of Christ as he lived before he died and rose again. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, even so know we him so no more. He said in another passage, It is expedient for you that I go away. And the Revised Standard Version translates, it it is advantageous for you that I go away. You and I are 10,000 times better off than was John the Baptist or Peter, James, and John before Pentecost, for we have him living in our hearts. But now, just before he goes to die and rise from the dead, in this chapter, he's announcing the motives and the goals and the course of our life, and we're to live not in regrets, but in a complete compliance with his commandments, his love. Verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now, this love is the source of true faith, and as if we read back two or three verses before this, that the love is the goal of our prayers. Verse 14 says, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. But if you love me, Now what does this mean if you ask anything in my name, if you love me? Well, what are you going to ask? Lord, give me this, give me that, give me this, give me that, give me this, give me that. No, you're not going to say that. You're gonna say, Lord, what do you want me to have? You wouldn't ask someone you love to do something absurd, something completely selfish for yourself. Now, says he understands. Yeah, but someone says, doesn't the Bible say, delight thyself in the Lord, and he'll give thee the desires of thine heart? What heart? Your foul heart? Your lustful heart? Delight thyself in the Lord, and he'll give thee the desires of thine heart. What? That your aunt will die and leave you that oil well? You see, you've got to understand that love worketh no ill to his neighbor. And that, therefore, the fulfillment of the law is love. And that we must understand that his love is to dominate our praying. And that in all things, that love, therefore, is the aim of true prayer. Turn over to 1 John for a minute. Chapter 3 and verse 22. When whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because, 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 because because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. In other words, we are surrendered to his will. First John 3, 22. We are surrendered to his will. We are yielded to him. And because we are yielded to him, whatsoever we ask, because we're always saying, Lord, I don't want anything that's not for my good. Lord, I'd like to have this. Humanly, I'd like to have this but I, I don't know whether this is the best for me. You might see a glass of liquid and you might say, oh, that makes me thirsty. Please, may I have that? Well, that happens to be a 2,4-D solution to kill broad-leaved uh, plants, uh, crabgrass, and dandelions in the lawn. Yeah, but it looks nice. It looks somewhat like the limeade. Yes, I know, but it isn't limeade. So don't say, give me this, because if you do and take it, 24 d may do more than kill dandelions in the garden. And many times you pray in just such silliness, therefore we must always say, Lord, keep me even from asking for something that is to my detriment. Now, I want you to note, John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments, that this is a great rebuke to the antinomianism of our day. That phrase is a theological term, antinomian, which means uh, that one is against the nomos, the law. In some fundamentalist circles, there are people who say, well, the law is not for us. The law is all gone. We don't have anything to do with the law. We live under grace. And therefore they say, well, we're under grace. We can do as we please. This week I was talking to the dean of a big Bible institute, and he has several hundred Bible Institute students. And I was thinking in terms of this sermon, and I said, do you have moral problems with your Bible Institute students? Oh, he said, all the time and increasingly. The number of cases of fornication among Bible Institute students is very great. And every Bible Institute in the country knows it. It's possible, you see, for young people to come in here tonight and say, I love him, I love him, I love him, and then go out and commit sin. And this is an antinomianism that is a cursed thing, and we've got to understand it. If we love him, we keep his commandments. Very definitely we understand that the Lord who gave the law to Moses is the same Lord who died for us on the cross. Now, Mount Sinai and Mount Calvary are in the same range of mountains, spiritually speaking. You cannot divorce Mount Sinai from Mount Calvary. Turn over, if you will, to Exodus chapter 20. And there in Exodus 20, after giving the first of uh, the commandments, in verse 6 it says, after saying that he visits the iniquity of the fathers to the children of the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, listen, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. So. In the Ten Commandments he says, love me and keep my commandments. And in the upper room he says, love me and keep my commandments. Now what are the commandments? The commandments is the whole of the divine revelation, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now this doesn't mean that you're to kill lambs for the remission of sin or that you're to keep Saturday or that you're to go on around with any of the legal prescriptions of the Old Testament that says you can't make a suit of clothes out of two different kinds of cloth, that you can't mix linen and wool. Why, who here knows what we're wearing? Dacron, nylon, orlons, pine tree roots, coal tar products, sour milk. Uh, Today, chemistry has given us so that nobody in the world knows what we have on our backs. Well, if you were a good Jew living in an orthodox manner, you couldn't wear most of the clothes you wear because it would be a violation of the kosher uh, elements concerning uh, dressing. And you couldn't have had bacon with your breakfast this morning or ham with your lunch if you were keeping the Old Testament commandments. We must understand it all, but nevertheless, when it says, if you love me, keep my commandments, this is the whole of the divine revelation that we must understand the principles of the Lord Jesus Christ living in our lives and leading us on moment by moment into a life of holiness according to the principles that are set forth in the whole of his word. Who was it that was with the children of Israel for 40 years in the wilderness? It was Jesus Christ. Oh, someone says that in the Old Testament, Christ? Turn over to 1 Corinthians 10. Now in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 9, it says, Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted in the wilderness and were destroyed of serpents. And back in verse 4 of that same chapter on that same page, 1 Corinthians 10, 4, and they did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So we have very definitely then that the Lord God Almighty has given us the expression of his will, That he calls his commandments, and that we're to take them not in a servile sense of a slave, but in the joyful sense of a son who finds out the will of the Father and seeks to put into practice that which would be pleasing unto him. If you love me, keep my commandments. Now, back in John 14, notice in verse 16, the first word is very important and, and, and. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter. Now back in verse 15, it's love and obedience from us. And here in verse 16, it's his love that is giving us the power to obey. His love is giving us the power to obey because how are you going to obey him? You can't obey him by yourself. The carnal mind is enmity against God. It is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. But Go over to Romans 5.5 for a moment. It says, Hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit which is given unto us. Now you see just the logic of this thing. Romans 5.5, the Holy Spirit comes. He brings the love of God. This is shed abroad in our hearts. And if we have this love, we keep his commandments. So it's all interrelated in an interlocking direction. The Holy Spirit brings love. Love keeps the commandments. The loving following of the Lord Jesus Christ takes us on into daily power and life. I will send you another comforter. Now, in order to understand this word, we've got to get out of it the false idea that has come in America as to what a comforter is. I was walking down this noon as we came back from lunch, We crossed on the uh, west side of 17th Street and saw in a window that they were having a sale of Irish linen and other things, and it said, All Comforts on Special Low Price. Well, uh, that word for comfort, you know, a comforter's a soft, downy quilt. Maybe it's cold outside. Well, pull up the comforter, you see. Uh, Let the wind blow, oh my... That's not a comforter in the Bible sense of the term. The Latin word "cum," C-O-M is the application in English of C-U-M, the Latin word for with. And then the word fortis, we have it in fortification, flying fortress, fortify, to strengthen. Comforter is a strengthener wither. A comforter is not a downy quilt to call, pull up on a cold night. A comforter is a ramrod down your backbone to make you stand for the truth, to make you take the side that's the right side, even though it's the minority side. It's the comforter that gives you strength to stand up in face of something that's vile and evil. It is that which makes it possible for you in an office where everybody wants to do this Oh, don't the boss is out, don't work hard when he's here. I once went up to a lunch counter in the Pennsylvania Railroad Station in New York. And there was evidently a new employee there and it was in the middle of the night. I'd come in and was waiting for a late train and the uh, head of it was giving orders to the new person and said, now look, just don't work too hard. If you do, there are not going to be enough jobs. Take it easy. If there are a lot of customers around, just serve some slowly enough so that the boss will have to put on another person. We've got to get one more job and one more set of wages. In other words, we have to steal. Well, this is the thing against which you must stand. If you're an employee and the rest of the people say, oh, come on, don't come in before nine o'clock. You make the rest of us look cheesy. We get in at nine and hang up our coat on company time. And we take 15 minutes off for the coffee break. And brother, we stop working at 10 minutes at 12 and begin to get ready to go. Well, you say, I'm a Christian. I'll be here at nine o'clock with my coat off. And if I'm paid for so many hours' work, I uh, work so many hours. Oh, someone says, you're not going to be popular. Well, I don't find any verse in the Bible that says in this world you shall be popular. I find that if th- in this world you shall have tribulation. Do it quietly in Jesus' name. And if someone says, why do you do this? Then you say, well, you see, I'm a Christian and the Lord tells me that I'm to live for him and my way of living for him is to be honest with the boss. I'm paid for 40 hours work a week and I'm going to work for 40 hours. Not steal five minutes each morning, which is 25 minutes in five days, and five minutes at noon, which makes 50 minutes, and five minutes late getting back, which makes 75 minutes, and five minutes early leaving in the evening, which makes 100 minutes, and 20 minutes else time during the day, which means you're stealing two hours during the week. Now, in the scripture he says, I will send you another comforter and he will strengthen you in the midst of any problem you have. Now, I want you to notice that this means that he's a personality. I will send you another personality, another comforter. In Greek, there are two words for another. There's another exactly alike and there's another absolutely different. I go into a store and I buy a fountain pen. It's the best fountain pen I ever had. Oh, this is a wonderful fountain pen. And I'm walking down Chestnut Street one morning and a man says, Dr. Barnhouse, long time I haven't seen you. And I've been meaning to write to you because I get so much joy out of your radio hour and and I want to give you a check. I've got a check here and I, I want to write you a check for your work. Oh, I don't have my pen. And I say, here. So he writes out a check and I sort of look to see, oh goodness, he put an extra zero. He's giving me $100 for the Bible study hour. What well, I say, I certainly appreciate it. He said, my, that's a good pen. He said, I have such trouble getting a good pen. That's the best pen I ever written with. I said, look, let me give it to you. Let me make you a present. You've been a long friend of our work. Oh, no, no, I said, look, if you don't, I'll merely take it over and have the secretary wrap it up and send postage and it'll cost us 15 cents more, but you're gonna have that pen. Well, he said, that'll remind me to pray for you and write more checks. I say, fine. So I go back into Pomerantz. I go back into Pomerantz where I bought the pen and say, Joe, you remember that pen you sold me the other day? I want another. What's that mean? I want another exactly like that good one you sold me the day. I want another exactly like. Well, that pen turns out to be a fountain pen. Pumps all over me, ink everywhere, leaky, nasty thing. And I go back and say, Joe, you remember that pen I got the other day? I want another. Now, what's that mean? I want another absolutely different. So the phrase, I want another fountain pen, may mean I want another fountain pen exactly alike or I want another pen exactly different, totally different. Now in the Greek there are two words for this. You never could make this confusion. If, if you heard in Greek, I want another, you'd be listening to the sentence, I want another exactly alike or I want another absolutely different. Jesus Christ said in John 5, I am come in my Father's name, me ye will not receive another The Antichrist will come in his own name and him you will receive. Which word do you think he used there? Another, the Antichrist, will come. Another absolutely different. Now, says the Lord, I'm sending you another comforter. The Greek word comforter is paraclete. Para, you know the word in parallel. Parallel means two lines that are alongside of each other and para in Greek means alongside. Paraclete. From kaleo, to call, the same word that's in ecclesia, church. And what he is saying, I'm going to give you another who is called alongside. In Latin, the word para is ad, A-D. And the word call is vocare, so you get advocate. Advocate is pure Latin for call alongside. And paraclete is pure Greek for call alongside. You're in trouble. And you go down the street and you see a sign that says Smith, Jones, Brown, Smith, and Smith lawyers. And you go in and say, help, SOS. That's a paraclete. You've called the lawyer alongside because you're in trouble. Now says the Lord, I will send you another advocate, another strengthener wither, another who comes alongside. Now we have two of these. This is the remarkable thing. This word paraclete, comforter, occurs twice in the Bible. In English, only once, because in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1 and 2, you find this same Greek word, but translated by another phrase. Turn and look at the two. Keep your finger in John 14 and turn over to 1 John 2. Verse 1, 1 John 2. My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, any believer, Christian sin, we have an advocate, a paraclete, a comforter with the Father. Who is it? Jesus Christ the righteous. So the Scripture tells us that we have this advocate, we have this firm of lawyers this firm of magnificent attorneys, Christ and the Holy Spirit. And Christ is in charge of the branch in heaven and the Holy Spirit is in charge of the branch on earth. And we have these two working for us. And the result is that right this minute, both of them are praying for us. I want you to see this. Look at Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25. It says, Wherefore he, Christ, is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing that he ever liveth to make intercession for them. So who's praying for you in heaven? Christ is right this minute praying for us in heaven. Now, if you will turn to Romans eight twenty-six. And in Romans 8, 26, you find likewise also the Spirit helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So we have in Hebrews 7, 25, that Jesus Christ is praying for us in heaven. And we find in Romans 8, 26, that the Holy Spirit is praying for us here on earth. So we have another comforter. Now, let's go back again to, first, to the Gospel of John. I will pray the Father and he will give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot see. Now, therefore, it's not a visible person. What my text is teaching us is that God replaced Christ on earth with the Holy Spirit. Now, you'll notice that he's called the spirit of truth. In fact, in Greek, it's the spirit of the truth. The article is in front of the word truth there in the Greek. He is the spirit of the truth. Now, notice again what the truth is, the spirit of the truth. If you turn back over the page, one page to John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, So, the truth is Jesus Christ. But now turn over one page in the other direction, and in John 17, 17, it says, Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. So, the truth is Jesus Christ, and the truth is the Bible. And the Holy Spirit is here and will always work in connection with these two. Turn over the page again in John 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient, it is advantageous for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him. So the Holy Spirit is sent to us by Christ the truth. And the Holy Spirit, therefore, becomes the agent of truth. Because on that same page in John 16, 14... He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. So you see, he is the spirit of Christ, the spirit of Christ, the truth. But he's also the spirit of the Bible, the truth. Turn over to 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 21. It says in verse 21, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So the Bible comes from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes from Christ. And we go back again now to John 16 and verse 13. Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. So he replaces Christ as the teacher. And this is taught to us two pages back in John 14 and verse 26. But the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things. Now let's go to the last point that we'll have time for and that's again in John 14 verse 17 even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not neither knoweth him but you know him for he dwelleth with you and he shall be in you. Now why cannot the world receive Jesus Christ? The reason is the nature of the world in which we live. Sometime, if you take a good concordance, you can discover the following fact, that the word world is found in Matthew four times, in Mark three times, in Luke four times, and in John 79 times. The word world is the key to the gospel of John. You and the world, you and the world, the believer and the unbeliever, the church and the world, the true Christian and the world. And God alternates them, puts them over against each other and says, if you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have elected you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. And therefore naturally, if the world hates God, if the world hates Christ, if the world cannot receive the Holy Spirit, the world cannot receive us. If we go 1st John again over in the epistle 1st John chapter 2 and in verse 16 we read for all that is in the world the lust of the flesh the lust of the eye and the pride of the life is not of the father now what does this mean this means that Hollywood is not of the father this means that Madison Avenue with its attitude, advertising techniques and its hidden persuaders is not of the father. This means that high society is not of the father. This means that that type of big business which exploits and will seek anything to get a profit is not of the father. This means that the television industry is not of the father. This is the world, the world that crucified Christ, And it says, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father. Now turn over right there in that same epistle, 1 John 5, 19. We read, we know that we are of God and the whole world, the King James Version says, lieth in wickedness. The revision is correct. The Greek definitely is the whole world lieth in the wicked one.'" And the Greek word lieth is the same word that is used by the Greek poets to describe a man lolling in the arms of a prostitute. And here it says we know that we are of God and the whole world lolls in the embrace of the devil. Now this is the reason why the world cannot receive Christ. We must understand this because they cannot see him. Now, this see doesn't mean merely with the visible eyes. It means, of course, the spiritual seeing. And 1 Corinthians 2, 14, it says, The natural man, the soulish man, the unregenerate man, receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. So that the seeing is a discernment, a spiritual discernment. This is what Jesus meant in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, in verse 3. And if you turn back to look at this story of Christ and Nicodemus, you read that Jesus said in verse 3, John 3, 3, to Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot see. This is why the world cannot see. It's a spiritual seeing. Now, why is this verse put in at this spot in the Gospel of John? For the Lord has said, I'm going to heaven and I'm going to send you another comforter whom the world cannot see. Why is this put here? It's put here in order to point out to us that the church is not to expect fantastic triumphs. We are to be a despised and persecuted people. The Lord Jesus Christ was meek and lowly and he said, if the world hates you, you know that the world hated me before it hated you. And so the Lord here put in this fact of destroying the false hopes of the church to bring in the millennium. Someone says, isn't the church to convert the world? Of course not. Brother, we certainly made a blotch at converting the world because we're not even up to 50% of the population growth. Fifty years ago, we might say that there were a billion people that had never heard of Jesus Christ. Well, today, there are close to two billion people that have never heard of Christ. The missionary task is fantastically greater than it was then. And always, the number of births and the increase of population is great and the increase of the church is little. And there are less Christians, and this will keep on and on. For Jesus Christ said, when the Son of Man cometh, will he find faith on earth? But as it was in the days of Noah, Sodom, and Gomorrah, so shall it be. And then go back for our closing thought in John, uh, verse 17, 14, 17, where he says, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Oh, how wonderful this is. He dwelleth with you, and he shall be in you. Now, this does away with the error of those branches of Protestantism that say that he can't dwell with us if we're sinners. So they say, well, the Lord has got to come and dwell in us, therefore we have to have a second blessing and an experience that makes us sinless. But this is not true. While we're on this earth, we're sinful, and the Lord dwells in a body that's decaying and disintegrating, And he dwells alongside my carnal nature, which is enmity against God. Let me show you how this was in the Old Testament. In Leviticus, if you turn back to Leviticus 16, 16. And this is an important verse worth noticing. In Leviticus 16, 16, the Lord was to come and live with his people. But here's what he says. He shall make an atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions in all their sins. And so shall he do for the tabernacle of the congregation that remaineth among them in the midst of their uncleanness. In other words, says God, before I could come and live in the tabernacle, I had to have Aaron kill a lamb and take blood and put one drop of blood on the veil and one drop of blood on each stave and one drop of blood on the altar, and one drop of blood on the laver, and one drop of blood on every stick and piece that was in the tabernacle. Because God said, I'm coming to live there. Well, how can you come and live with these stiff-necked and stubborn, rebellious, fornicating, idolatrous Israelites? Oh, says God, look at the drop of blood down on the corner of the building. I'm looking at this place through Jesus Christ. How can God come and live in Donald Barnhouse? Look what he is in himself. Oh, says God, the blood is between me and what he is in himself. And the Holy Spirit comes in to dwell in order to manifest Christ. And in spite of the fact that you look in the mirror and you see yourself in the mirror and you say, Oh, it's a good thing. Oh, it's a good thing people don't know what you are. Have you ever done that? It's a good thing they haven't discovered all you did last night, last week. It's a good thing they don't know the truth of which I only told them 2%. Oh, praise God, says God, I can come and live in your dirty house because I see the blood and the Holy Spirit dwelleth with you and he shall be in you. And so he says, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. The word comfortless in the Greek is literally, I will not leave you orphans. The Lord was going to leave them. He was going back to heaven. He said, I will come. I will come in the spirit of truth and I will guide you into all truth. May God bless this to our hearts. Shall we close in prayer? Our God and Father, we thank thee for thyself. We rejoice in thy great love to us in Christ. Thou knowest our need And we pray thee that tonight as we go out it may be in yieldedness to thee with the joy of the fact that we are well represented in heaven by Christ and that thou, O God, art well represented in our hearts by the Spirit and that all three of you are together in us and together in heaven. And here in this mystery is our power and our joy, our oneness with thee and the triumph of our lives. We praise Thee in Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse. Listen to Faith of Our Fathers each Saturday and Sunday to hear more great 20th century preachers.